sometimes we forget to breathe. Life is too too short not to breathe. So my name's Chris. Yes, I'm the sound guy. Uh, I'm the guy that everyone looks at when you're like, why is something sound weird in here? Or when you're not happy with something, you just look back at me. It's normal. It's cool. We sit upstairs. There's a bunch of people upstairs. They're going to hate me, but they're all really cool people. Uh, and you should go say hi to them at some point. I won't call them out by name, but they're all really amazing. Uh, we love to have people help us out with tech stuff here. Our technology has become an integral part of what we do in our lives daily, but also in terms of church. You know, it's integrated into it. It doesn't have to be. You don't need a microphone, but we choose to use them, which means eventually you're probably going to need to use something like an audio system, and then you need somebody to run that. Um, why I like that stuff, I have no idea. Uh, I worked in it professionally for a while, and I still do. Um, I'm also have a master's in divinity, which if you can reconcile the two pieces of that together, good luck. Uh, I'll let you know when I figure it out. I enjoy them both. I don't know why. I like blinking lights. I like loud kick drums. I also like quiet music. I also like theology. I like Greek. I like Hebrew. I like all these different things, and they just kind of come together, and now they work here. So we go with it. Uh, I don't have a picture to share because I don't want to take too much time. I actually only have 20 minutes. Um, I am married. I have three kids. I love them to death. They're the center and focus of my life. Um, and sometime, maybe someday I'll get to meet more of them. They do, they do come around campus periodically. My son likes to hang out upstairs and just watch the blinking lights on all the screens because we have too many screens in our sound booth. So if you ever come up there and look at them, you can check them out. Uh, but I do want to jump in. Um, we are talking about discipleship today, and whether, whether you know this or not, this, the word discipleship is not actually mentioned in the Bible. You won't find it. It's not there. Uh, it's a word we use to describe the process of what makes a disciple. Now, you will find the word disciple in the Bible. That's very much there. And so that's actually where I want to start today. We're gonna, I'm gonna, I want to describe what a disciple is to you. And the verse we're going to use is going to start out in Matthew 28. And you can go ahead and throw that up on the screen. Uh, we're actually going to stay in this verse pretty much the whole service. So you're all familiar with this, I'm fairly certain. Uh, but Matthew 28, 19 to 20 a. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what is a disciple? Some would say it's a learner. Some would say it's someone who constantly associates with somebody with a particular perspective. Some might even define it as someone who follows a certain religious teaching, which I would argue is probably more accurate for our point in time because Jesus as the physical incarnation of God is resurrected, he's no longer with us, but we adhere to his teachings as Christians to become disciples. The biblical context, Jesus describes it as a person who, who follows Jesus not just in a way that reflects what he says, but actually lives it out. That, that does it, has internalized those teachings, not just repeated those teachings. Now, we're not going to go into all the examples of that, but there are many examples in the Scripture where somebody says something, 
and they're like, and they, you can see that they know, they have knowledge of the scripture, they have knowledge of Jesus' perspective, but they haven't fully internalized it. Quick example is the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and asks, what else must I do to be saved? And Jesus turns around and says, well, sell everything you have and follow me. He had knowledge, but he didn't internalize that knowledge. He didn't allow that knowledge to fully transform his life. So in this verse specifically, uh, Jesus commands us to make disciples. Now, a lot of the time, the emphasis is on the go. Now, I have a master's in divinity, so I obviously like to geek out a little bit, so I'm going to geek out on a little bit of Greek. So for any of you who like Greek in here, I'm with you. Uh, now, if you think I'm a savant, I'm not. Learning foreign languages, learning Greek and Hebrew was like hitting my head on a brick wall every day for three years, nonstop. So if you are not that person, God bless you. You're amazing. I, one of my best friends went through grad school. Greek was easy. I hate him. I love him to death. I just hated the fact that he's like, oh, yeah, I got this. I'm like, I'm... Never mind. So in Hebrew, it was the same way. You just had less words to learn overall. You just have to learn the front and the endings. But still, it's just hit my head. But I still like it because it's the actual biblical text. We can read it in English, but to understand sometimes what's going on, we have to see what is going, what the writer intended in the language they use. So in this command, Jesus is emphasizing the fact that we have to proclaim the gospel to the people around us. Now, it also requires that we teach people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. <laughs> no small task, is it? Now, that includes, just to be honest, that includes things like, well, we'll just, we'll go there. Like your sex life, your friendships, your jobs. It's funny, when you say sex, everyone just stops talking. Um, quick aside, I find it interesting when we talk about human sexuality that we always define it in terms of a married relationship, but Jesus was fully single, fully human, tempted like a fully human male, lived a sexually fulfilled life without sinning or being married. If that's possible, why don't we think that we can live a fully fulfilled sexual identity in life before Christ, before we're married? Because I'll promise you two things. If you're not before you're married, it doesn't fix it after you're married. Marriage is no fix. Marriage is just another step in iteration of your relationship with another person and with God. You can't fix anything by getting married. But I'm not going to digress. I just like to bring it up because a lot of times we refer to sexuality as just this thing that's you wait till you get married. But, and it's a disservice that the church has done because we often haven't emphasized it enough. Sexuality is not sex. That is part of it. Just one piece of it, but it is so much more than that. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go into that, so i gotta, I got to keep going. Now, the command required both teaching and witness. I am emphasizing this on purpose. The discipleship process must merge proactive proclamation of God's love with active teaching and training in order to enable people to follow Jesus in their daily lives. That's what it says. Now, I want to break this down a little bit. Uh, the go and make disciples part. So in the Greek, uh, for those of you who like Greek, uh, there are things called participles. They make your life go crazy because when you're translating, a participle can be so many things. It happens in English, and I'll give you an example. So a participle is when you take a verb and you turn it into something else. We do this every day. The, the verb to run, 
Now, in English, we usually put to in front of it, but the word to run. If I want to change that to a participle, I can make it running. So I could either say, I am running, or I could even say, running is fun. I'm using a participle to describe something. Now, in Greek, they cheat because, man, they use so many participles. And you've got to figure out what these participles are relating to. The command, there's actually one imperative in this entire sentence. And that imperative is the verb to make disciples. Um, my Greek is a little off in pronunciation, but mathetisate. That is the imperative to make disciples. That's the command form. To go, the first, word, the first word there, go, is actually the participle modifying. It explains how you make disciples, the means by which you do that. So it's implying that you have to do something. You have to go somewhere besides staying by yourself to make a disciple. So you can't make a disciple by just sitting in your room staring at the wall. You actually have to get outside and go somewhere. It does not necessarily imply that you have to go to the uttermost reaches of the earth. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't say that, but this verse does not. That's part of the biblical narrative, but this verse is describing that you have to go. In fact, you could more easily translate this as, as or when you go, make disciples of all nations. The key phrasing there defines the means by which we accomplish this making disciples. So, Jesus does clarify that we are to make disciples of all nations, all of them. That means, the word is often as, uh, interpreted as ethne or ethnic groups. And what that means is really subpopulations. Populations of people living in certain contexts that would collect together. Now, anthropology may describe that slightly differently, but basically you have smaller groups of people, and they define them, they pull together. You could actually argue that college is a subculture. There's a certain culture associated with attending college that we all have something, an identity that pulls us together. In fact, everyone in this room has the same, a same playing field in terms of we're all here. We are even a little bit more unique in that regard because we're at a private Christian school, which means that we have a slightly different set of unique things to us than, say, the U of M campus. So we may, have all, we may all be college students, but there's even something more defining about our population than just any population. And Jesus here is saying that, yes, you must make disciples of all types of people, every type of person, every person around you that you can see, whether they're here in your, in your dorm floor, whether they're out on the street, when they're out in another place. Now, I'm not saying you have to go out necessarily and start preaching to every human you see, but the goal is that we are trying to intentionally make disciples. And Matthew underscored this with that phrase. This was, Matthew's intent was for us to pick up that fact. Sometimes we miss it. We want to gloss over the fact that it's the go to all these ethnic groups. It's not the going that's important. It's the making disciples of them as we go to them. Now, we're going to continue this down into the, into the second section of this as we go into verse 20. Um, Jesus also describes the means by which his disciples were going to accomplish this. So, baptizing and teaching are those two pieces. Now, again, go back into the Greek for a moment. These are participles. So, they have to be modifying a verb. And the verb they're modifying is make disciples. Now, I would argue that they are 
specifically the instrumental use of the adver adverbial Greek participle. So if you know what that means, you would define that by using the words by. So uh, actually, could you throw up the next verse? It's actually the same verse, just a different translation. This may be a more accurate English representation of what we are reading. When you go, therefore, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's prescriptive. He's not actually trying to trick us into how you do this or convince us to find other places in the Bible to, to solve this problem. He's putting it in front of us. Um, now, in full disclosure, the CJV is my own version. Um, just to clarify, you will not find this version anywhere else than other in my writings. And I have quite a few pieces of text in the CJV. Um, so if you would go ahead and put the next version up you will like to see the comparison between the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, and the CJV, which is the Chris Joseph Version. It's okay. I, full disclosure, uh, you will not find the words by written in most of the other translations. In fact, I don't think any of the, any of the major translations use it. But it is very arguably supposed to be there. And you should discuss this in your Greek classes if you have fun, want to have some fun with your professors. I don't know if any of them are here. Uh, but it'd just be fun, because the participles are just cool. So, <laughs> continuing on from that moment, that's my geek moment for the day. I'm going to be done with the Greek. Baptizing focused on the physical expression of spiritual transformation in a disciple's life. This is the whole point of baptism. It's this moment that we are publicly declaring the transition in our life choices from not serving Christ to serving Christ. It is that public moment of declaration. This is what we would typically refer to as the conversion moment. So this baptism is a reflection of that conversion. Now this was used in other different settings, like Jesus was baptized by John, but Jesus actually pulled this all the way forward to make it part of that declaration of a person's faith. Paul goes on to write in Romans 6, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And again he says in Colossians 2.12, 2, Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through, him, uh, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The association with Jesus' death for sin became the source of freedom in an individual's life, resulting in eternal life through Jesus' resurrection. That's what's being declared through baptism. This is foundationally important to the, to the discipleship process. Because to become a disciple, you have to choose to commit. You have to choose what you're going to follow, who you're going to follow, what you're going to do with, the, with your life. Without that baptism conversion moment, you're missing a huge piece of this puzzle. Now, I'm not trying to say that if you've never been baptized, um, that you somehow are outside of God's will. Baptism is a public declaration of that, and I would actually encourage you to consider it. Because it is the moment you are declaring not just to you, not just to the people around you, you're declaring to God and all of humanity what your choice is. The other piece of this that is actually, I think, really quite amazing, is the confession, confession isn't just ours alone. 
So I confess, I'm baptized. You confess, you're baptized. Seems to be something more going on there. I would argue that it joins people together in the larger community of Jesus' followers throughout history. Because time doesn't exist to God. We are all one body unified before God forever. When we choose to follow him, we have joined with people, the people we read about in the New Testament, the people we read about in church history. We are joining with them in their public declaration and statement of faith. Not just us alone in isolation, not just us in modern contemporary times, but everyone. It's the same thing with like communion and other acts that we choose to participate in, sacraments. We're not just joining with ourselves, we're joining with the broader church body, the people we may even disagree with on theological issues, but who still maintain faith and the supremacy of Christ. We're joining with them. It's the thing that unites us, that draws us together instead of pushing us and separating us apart. It's actually this piece that is supposed to pull us towards each other. Now, the other aspect of this verse is the teaching. The teaching emphasizes the importance to move beyond a conversion moment to in teaching and instructing people about the fullness of God's love and grace to forgive sins as well as God's desire to transform them into his likeness. So if you end at the conversion moment, what's happened? You've made a declaration. You're not a disciple yet. You're missing a huge aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus commissioned the disciples to teach people how to live out their relationship with him in, da- in their daily lives. That's the point of this. It becomes a long, hard process of maturing in faith. This doesn't mean that if you're not a perfect Christian that you failed. It's the process of maturing. And I think that's the key point that we forget oftentimes. Conversion guarantees the end result. That means we've chosen faith in Christ that he is who he says he is and we believe him as the son of God, that God sent him to die, forgive us of our sins, and raise him from the dead. The end is now sealed. But if that were the point, then we should all just die at that point. God had the process of this teaching, this working out our faith daily to become more and more like him. That becomes the purpose of our lives at this point. Once we have this conversion moment, we have to be learners, active, proactive learners. It's through teaching that we're able to grow in our relationships with Jesus so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Living out this, these commands requires a lifetime of learning and transformation. We're never going to be perfected until the end, but we should be being becoming more and more like Christ daily. Now, to pull, back, to pull this back into the discipleship process for our lives, what does that mean? We need to understand how Jesus did this with his disciples. One of the key components that the Bible, the narrative throughout the whole New Testament, I would argue the Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, is relationship. There was never discipleship outside of relationship. Jesus spent years with his disciples, the people we call the 12, the original 12 disciples. He spent years with them. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
I think oftentimes we gloss over that moment. That was, a, that was discipleship happening between God and Adam and Eve. We pretend that somehow they were, they were perfect. Obviously, they weren't. They sinned. They had a choice before them. But God walked and talked with them. What did they talk about? You ever pondered what the heck they talked about? I would love to know. I would love to know what they talked about. Like Adam's looking at Adam was like, what the heck is that thing? And God's like, well, I don't know. I decided to do this. I don't think he would use the phrase, I don't know, but maybe. It's rhetorical. So Jesus accomplished it completely through relationship. He constantly taught his disciples how to understand Scripture and what it really meant to live their lives the way God intended. The second piece that goes into this is modeling. And I think this is important to catch because it's easy to forget and think that discipleship and us making disciples of other people has to do, just do with us being, having a relationship with them. But we model that behavior. We model our choices, which reflects our discipleship process. In Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of Christ as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There is no discipleship happening outside a relationship. There are no lone wolves. There are no, there are no independent disciples. Someone who is alone and someone who's doing things on their own is not following the same model that Christ demonstrated for us. He called us into that relationship. And if we try to exist outside of that relationship and become more like him, we will fail every single day. That will tie in quite nicely with what we're talking about with DLs. You have an opportunity to model your own choices amongst your peers. There are a few different types of ways that we disciple others. Some, you have a spiritual mentor who disciples you and pulls you up. Some is peer-to-peer. In fact, the goal actually should get everyone to -to peer-to-peer. Your goal is not to lord over and pretend that you've achieved and accomplished. Your goal is to actually raise someone up to your level so together you can both pursue Christ. And that means for some people, that means they get to where you're at a lot faster than you did because you helped them get there. They didn't have to go through all the same issues. They didn't have to have all the same experiences. So don't look at your own and be like, man, it took me forever to get here. We can do that a lot. We're very self-judgmental. I'm my worst critic. But our goal is to raise people up to our level so together we can pursue Christ. Our own process of discipleship becomes a model by which others around us pursue Christ. Our goal is to walk through that with others, drawing them towards that pure discipleship relationship with us and moving forward together. To flip all the way back to the front side of this, I can't answer whether or not you're a disciple of Christ. Only you can. I can't make you a disciple. Only you can. Have you ever tried to teach someone something who doesn't want to learn? If somebody doesn't want to be a disciple, we can't force them. But we can imitate our creator, our our God, for them. We can model that behavior to draw them into a relationship with him, to connect them to how we see God, how we understand God, the things that God has done in our life, to hope and allow them 
to grasp onto Jesus through it. That's what I would argue the discipleship process is all about. It's about you and I together pursuing God and becoming more and more like him in everything we do. Yes, give it up for Chris. Thank you, Chris, just for speaking to us on discipleship. And not only that, just for everything that you do, just in general, you know, being up there and the sound booth and making everything happen, all this stuff possible for us. It's truly a gift because I'm sure a lot of us in here probably don't even understand anything like that up there. Um, So what we want to do next is we kind of want to transition into a time where we have given an opportunity for some of your DLs to come on up and to give testimonies of ways that God has been using them and working through them um, in their position as a DL. And so at this time, I'm going to invite up the, the three DLs that we have uh, coming up. Um, yes, give them, give them an applause. These are your DLs. And so here's, here's what's going to happen. Weston, can you grab that other stool for me real quick? And these are three amazing DLs out of the 40-something that are here um, across all campus. Uh, We were going to have Melanie up here as well uh, to represent the apartment community, but sadly she was sick and wasn't able to make it in here. But that does not take away from the fact that the apartment DCLs this year, which Manny, by the way, did it all by himself, created a whole DCL community for the apartments. It does not mean that they aren't still doing amazing work for the kingdom of God. And so what I would love to hear from our amazing deals up here, uh, just some stories of how God has worked in you and through you to disciple the people on your floors uh, this year especially. And so I'm going to have Weston come on up first. And he's going to share. Yeah, I'm going to have you stand right up here. So, uh, my name is Weston Buckley. I am a DL on 4 Weston Carlson. Yeah. Um, Man, God's so good. He is so faithful. And it's just really cool to see how Carlson has been an outlet for so many people, so many men across the campus to be, to really grow in their, in their faith. And one way is life core. And one particular life core of that was uh, purity and pancakes. And if you guys don't know what that was, it was a life core for not only the Carlson men, but all the men across campus. And because of that, we had an opportunity to share things that are not really, are kind of taboo, I guess, in church culture. And it was really, it was an awesome opportunity because not only was that, not only was that a good opportunity for a lot of other people to come together and share experiences that not are kind of, you know, unheard of or stuff like that. But it's also a good opportunity for other, for men across, um, across the campus to really grow and go deeper into the relationship with God and relationship with others. And that opportunity allowed us as DLs, especially in Phillips and in um, the DCLs and in Carlson, to really grow and be, and be the guide for them to be like, hey, how do you want to get from here to there? And so uh, the opportunity of being a DL is something that I have a true honor to be a part of. And it's something that I encourage you to be a part of as well if you're really interested. Hi, my name is Nathan. I'm a, excuse me, 
I'm a discipleship leader on Phillips 2 East. Um, and I think the way that I have seen God work most on our floor this year is through community. Um, I think a passage of scripture that the Lord has really emphasized in my life has been um, Acts 2 and 4, where we see uh, the believers just give up everything they have to live with each other um, and make sure everyone is without need. Um, and of course, the application of that is a little bit different in our context, but I think our floor has done a good job at um, applying that in um, our world. Um, and I think that next to, along with obvious like God stories that have happened on our floor, our tight-knit community has probably been the biggest testimony of God working on our floor. Um, yeah, we've seen community take place in pretty radical ways where just like the believers in the act, just like the believers in Acts, guys on our floor are ready to just give up all their time, energy, and resources for the betterment of someone else. Um, and I think that in a culture that is very like hyper-individualized, we've gonna j done a good job at um, pursuing personal righteousness as well as like communal righteousness um, as well. So that's definitely one of the things I'm going to miss most about North Central. Hi, I'm Hai Chang. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Anyways, anyways, anyways. So some a big reason why I became a DL was, okay, as you can tell, I don't look like them. I don't look like the other women DLs that I co-DL with. Um, love them so much. I just don't look like them. I don't have the same experiences as them. Um, and that's so important. That is so, so important. And... Um, Something that the Lord does is he breaks my heart for his. And sometimes I don't have a choice because I go to a white school, you guys. I'm not white. <laughs> so sometimes my heart breaks for people that look like me, people that are different, and I don't have a choice. But, but I, I chose this position, and I was like, okay, Lord, you could do whatever you want. And um, I, I have a lot of friends on my floor that are not white also, students of color, and we have so many conversations of this place doesn't feel like home, blah, 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 this place doesn't feel safe, but we're here because the Lord called us here, um, so it's kind of not fair that it doesn't feel safe that we live here, but we don't know anyone here that we live here, but it's not community, not for us at least, you know, um, and so something that my floor did is we did um, something called Kingdom Core, and I was like, okay, Lord, so what do we do with all these conversations? What do we do with all of these, all of this hurt, all of, all of this, like, discourse that a lot of my friends that are white don't see? What do we do about it? And he was like, have conversation. <laughs> Get to know each other. Because when you know each other, then you can love each other right. And so we just sat in a room, we had a conversation, and we just talked about, hey, this is how I feel. That, this is how I feel when you look at me like this and you don't say anything to me when you pass me in the hallway, when you don't say my name, when you don't make an effort to say my name. And there was so much humility in that room. And um, my RA was like, this is the sauce, I believe. <laughs> That's what she said. She was like, this is the kingdom sauce right here. This is that sauce. And um, yeah, and so that's the way I've seen God move on my floor, and I'm always reminded by people that I live on a very diverse floor. No one lets me get away from that, <laughs> and I'm like, good, good. It's diverse, so 
how are we going to change? How are we going to be different than the rest of Miller? Because this is a big thing that exists, you know, is that all of Miller kind of looks the same sometimes. That's beautiful, yeah. But like my, my RA examples, what it's like to, to deter from everything else, to not have a floor full of flowers and, and the happy stuff. And, and that is so, and it's been so beautiful. And it's been such a good community and a safe community and uh, a healthy community because we, we run into the conflict so that we could come out together. Thank you guys. Thank you, thank you. Thank you to every single one of our DLs and those that also have stories um, for themselves. I just want to, I also want to reiterate more of what Chain was saying because discipleship is not limited at all to a specific type of person or, or anything like that. Rather, discipleship is meant for everyone. You know, Jesus had 12 uh, disciples, all of whom were different, all of whom had their own personal problems with each other, and a lot of people did not respect the disciples for who they were as people, but that did not matter to Jesus whatsoever. He still chose them and used them in their own way, even after he had died and ascended into heaven again. And he, even then, there was still troubles, and there was still uh, just a lot of crazy stupid stuff that would always happen um, between the 12 disciples um, throughout that time. And, you know, still, the, the command that Jesus gave his disciples is to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And by this, as Chris was saying, by what we do, by this love, the world will know that you are my disciples. And that's what discipleship is all about. And it's, it's not limited whatsoever. It's not uh, only made for one sort of person. It's made for you and you specifically. Jesus tells us all to go and specifically make disciples. And so I want to kind of use as a segue to tell you guys that we still have an opportunity and we have openings for more DL positions, DCL positions for various um, uh, residence halls here on campus. And so if you are interested in being a DL or wanting to just disciple anybody whatsoever, uh, please reach out to your RA, your RD, or your DA or DCL, and we will connect you with what you need to take those next steps into what God is calling you to do to be a discipleship leader. Um, so yes, thank you again for, for coming out today for our discipleship, discipleship Chapel. I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to pray us out, and then we're just going to have a soft dismissal after that. Father, we love you. We love you so, so much, and we're just so grateful, Lord, that you have chosen us for who we are, no matter what we've done, where we're from, you've chosen us to be your disciples and to go into all the nations and to make disciples by simply loving them and loving them the way that you loved us. And I just pray, Lord, that you would remind us every single day of the love that you have for us. Help us to walk confidently knowing that you love us no matter what we've done or what we will do, but you just love us fully. 
Lord, I pray that you would just stir our hearts to walk out of this room changed, to walk out of this room completely uh, restored or reminded of the things that you've done for us and how we can turn a new leaf in our lives or we can turn around and continually disciple those around us, God. Because discipleship is meant to be part of our everyday lives. It's not just a, a one-time thing. It's, it's now that we are... Uh, we have been converted and we have had that transformation in our lives and that renewal of our minds that now that we can turn around and disciple those around us that still need you. And we just pray that you would go with us this week, go with us into our classrooms, but more importantly, go with us outside of our classrooms and into our halls, into our rooms, into our apartments, into our homes, wherever we go. God, would you just be with us and lead us to disciple those around us? We love you so much, and we just want to honor you and exalt you by the way that we live, God, by loving others the way that you loved us. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you all for coming. This is the soft dismissal right here and right now.